0: In the Exodus, God was faithful to them. He brought them out of a difficult season and he brought them into a new land, but they continued to rebel against him. And so God raised up some judges for them. And these people were kind of like kings, but not really. Whenever the the people did what the judge said, things went well for them. Whenever the judge died and the people kind of went back to what the Bible says uh, that they did, they did whatever was was right in their own eyes. And that's kind of the story of the book of Judges. Uh, they clamored for a king. They were not satisfied to have God as their king. And so they said, Give us a king like all the other nations. And so God said, Well, I'll give you some kings, but that's not going to fix your problem. They went through the season of kings. And then finally, they kept being rebellious. They kept being wayward. And God sent them into (laughs) exile. God allowed other nations to conquer them. Uh, And so now what we find here in Ezra and Nehemiah is that God is allowing his people to come back home he had promised them I'm gonna discipline you for a season but then on the other side of that I will restore you and he's doing that here in Ezra and Nehemiah but this week what we're doing in Ezra chapter 3 what God is doing for us is he's allowing us to learn who these people are He's allowing us to learn a little bit more about their identity. And here's the cash value of this. When we get to see in the Old Testament who God wanted his people to be back then, we can learn some lessons about who he wants us to be as his people today. And so what we are reading here today is very valuable. We're asking the question, who are these people? Who are these people? Maybe you've asked that question in kind of a different context. I don't know if you remember, but maybe about 20 years ago, it seemed like you started hearing all of these news reports of these lawsuits that were going on. Somebody had gone through the McDonald's drive-thru and got some coffee that was hot, and then they spilled it on themselves, and then they decided to sue McDonald's. And maybe you asked, who are these people? Like that don't expect coffee to be hot, right? And, and maybe in another situation, it's not uncommon for me whenever I go to Walmart uh, to find shopping carts just strewn everywhere in the middle of the parking lot. And sometimes you wonder, who are these people who don't take their shopping cart back to the little corral or whatever that thing is you know what my favorite thing to do is when i see somebody doing this and i'm sitting in the car maybe i'm waiting on whitney and she's inside shopping for something and somebody just kind of looks around and they leave their shopping cart and walk into their car i love to get out of my car and go take it and look at them <laughs> while i while i walk it back to the thing as i like, see it's not that hard you know Maybe you're in the checkout line at the grocery store and you see these tabloids with these outlandish, you know, articles, titles, and you think, who are these people who buy these? Apparently they sell enough to stay in business. Right? They've been in business my whole life. And, but who are these people? As we look here today in Ezra chapter 3, we get to see who these people are that God is restoring. What are there, or what is their identity the first thing that i want to point out from ezra chapter three is this they are a faithful remnant the people are a faithful remnant it's important to Make sure we all understand what that word means, a remnant. You know, maybe uh, you have seen uh, in flooring stores, you can go in and they have these big old rolls of carpet, and some of them have been used on a job, and they, they'll sell remnants, you know, leftover pieces from a big job, or maybe in a fabric store, although I don't have nearly as much experience with that, but I hear that that happens uh, in, in fabric stores. But a remnant is just a leftover part. It's a smaller part of what used to be something much bigger. And friends, what has happened to the people of Israel is that they used to be much bigger. And now the only ones who are left are those who are faithful. Those who are following God fully. In the Bible, a remnant means those who stayed faithful to God after a time of hardship or judgment. In the early church, shortly after Jesus was crucified, actually just a couple hundred years after that, in the 300s, there was an emperor and his name was Diocletian. And what Diocletian wanted to do was go around and collect all of the religious books from the Christians. And so sometimes Christians would hand them over a book that wasn't really the Bible, but that the officials would be satisfied. But many people, many Christians, in order to save their own necks, handed over their copies of the scriptures. Many of them even agreed to do what the emperor wanted to do and go to the local pagan temple and worship these pagan false gods if it meant saving my own skin. Well, then after Diocletian goes away and things get a little easier on the Christians, all of a sudden, all these people who just willingly handed over the Bible, all these people who went down to the temple and worshiped the fake gods, now they all want to be back in the church now that the, uh, the weather is a little more fair. And the church had this big decision to make in North Africa in the 300s. What are we going to do with these people who basically said, I don't want Jesus when it's hard, but I'll take him when it's easy? They were wondering how does the remnant, how does the faithful remnant, how are we, supposed to, are we supposed to extend grace to these people and how are we supposed to let them in? And some people said yes and some people said no and it causes big kind of you know, a conflict there in the church. But here's what we learn in the first five verses of Ezra chapter three. Look at this and read it with me if you would. When the seventh month came, And the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths as it is written. And they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings and the offerings at the new moon and all of the appointed feasts of the Lord and all the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. What Ezra is telling us is that these people that God allowed to go back to Jerusalem and to begin to rebuild their life, to begin to rebuild their church, as it were, to begin to rebuild their city, they responded to God's stirring in their hearts. Remember in chapter one, where it says that the people who went up were those that God had stirred up to go. God stirred in their hearts and these people responded to do the work that God wanted them to do. These are fundamentally people who hear from God and who do what he says. And friends, if you're not already picking up on it, the same thing is required of the people of God today. We have been given what God says we ought to do. And the only question is, are we going to respond to the stirring of our hearts through the word of God? Are we going to be part of the faithful remnant of the people of God today? Folks, I would just ask you, if I have permission, a a probing question. Is there anything that you know you need to do because God has revealed it in his word and you're just honestly not responding to it? I would encourage you, friend, Christian, be like the people in Ezra chapter 3 who sense the stirring of God in their hearts and respond to it. Secondly, this is the second thing that we see about this people. They desire to worship God. Let me ask you a question. If today your house, God forbid, your house burned to the ground and you are left with nothing but the clothes that you wore to church today, and you walked into a new place, maybe another person in the church had a, had a, a home or, or, or a, a something, a camper that you could go live in, when you got there, what would be the first thing that you would do? I mean, maybe make a phone call, you know, call nationwide because they're supposed to be on your side or something. These people, they come out of exile They come into a city that is no longer theirs. They have nothing. They're even, the Bible says, they're fearful because of the other people who now live here. And the first thing they do is go about setting up the altar because they know that the most important thing for them is to honor God. They're not moping around, saying, woe is us. They're saying God has allowed us to come back into this city and to do what he put us on this earth to do, to worship him. It says in verse 2, then arose Jeshua and Zerubbabel, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings. That would seem like something that would be secondary or tertiary or only once we got our basic needs met, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs I need shelter and then water and then then maybe down here uh, you know with with the religious stuff we can get to that once we have everything else stabilized but these people the faithful remnant knows that the most important thing is obeying God come what may come what may thirdly I would say this about them I think the Bible shows us number three they are willing to be uncomfortable If it means being faithful. They are willing to be uncomfortable. If it means obeying God. Look at verse 3. They set the altar in its place. For fear was on them. Because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings mourning evening. Wait a second, wouldn't this draw a bunch of attention to them? Here are these people, they don't live here, I haven't seen them for 70 years. Most of the people who are now living in Jerusalem wouldn't even remember, you know, about the Israelites and stuff like that. They wouldn't recognize any of these people. Here they've come up, they've set up shop, they've made a little altar, and now they're worshiping their God. They're creating all this smoke. What's going on? The people are already vulnerable. It says that they are fearful because the other people who live around them. But friends, they consider as most important worshiping and obeying God, not being comfortable. And friends, what a challenge to us today. This is how we are really on the same page with this people. This people... In Ezra chapter 3, think about it. They were called to be different. They were called to live among a bunch of other people who don't believe what they believe. And they were called to worship their God come what may. We too are called to be different people. We're called to live among people who don't believe what we believe. And we are called to follow God and obey him come what may. I would ask you this question. Another probing question. What are you today sacrificing to follow Jesus? S- sit with that for a minute. I'm to encourage you to contemplate something. If, if following Christ is costing you nothing, if following Christ is costing you very little, The Bible gives us all kinds of warnings, all kinds of warnings that this is a sign of spiritual unhealth and even danger in some situations. If we have had to give up nothing to follow Him, and here's why that's the case we all sacrifice for the things that we love, don't we? I mean, if we can just be gut level real, we make sacrifices for what we love. And if we are not making sacrifices to love Jesus, what does that reveal about what our true God really is? What we sacrifice for reveals our true God. Maybe our our family schedules Need some readjustment. Summer schedules, they reveal what is very important to us. It's even conceivable that Christians may be pushed to make career sacrifices in workplaces that increasingly call us to utter things that our consciences cannot allow ourselves to utter. Our finances reveal what's important to us. Can I share with you a shocking statistic? Did you know that my generation, even though we are materially better off than our parents and our grandparents at this stage in our lives, those of us who are between the ages of 25 and 44, we give 75% less of our money to the Great Commission than our grandparents did. That's a fancy way of saying we only give a quarter of what they did, Yeah. If I'm just talking to my fellow millennials right now and maybe some Gen Xers. Some of that number could be due to the fact that like we're earlier in our careers and parents and grandparents are later on in their careers. But if we look in the mirror, a lot of that I think is because our generation is the one who is worshiping the God of living our best life. And if following Jesus gets in the way of living our best life, some of us have made a decision. But friends, if we continue to worship this God, the institutions that nourished us will not be here for our kids. Missionaries won't be equipped and sent like they have been. I'll just give a challenge to you. It's time for us to start taking the leadership in sacrifice that our parents and grandparents have passed on to us. This remnant here in Ezra, they're willing to make deep personal sacrifice. And why? Not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but because they see that their God is worth it. Their God is worthy. They are saying with Peter in John chapter six, when Jesus said some hard things and a whole bunch of his disciples walked away and Jesus looks at his disciples, the ones who remained, the remnant, and he says to them, you're not gonna go away too, are you? And Peter looks at Jesus and says, Where will we go? You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? Jesus. We have nowhere else to go. That's point number one. They are a faithful remnant. Point number two is this. They are a kingdom of priests. Perhaps uh, if you were in Sunday school this morning, I know our lesson in God's kindness to us, the lesson talked about priests. Uh, It talked about how uh, Jesus kind of came into the temple and he acted like a priest. He read the scroll like a priest and, and he sat down after he got done reading just like a priest would. But verses six through nine talk about what these people were supposed to be. Verses six, verse six says this from the From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had received from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord and Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah together supervise the work uh, the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites their sons and brothers Here's what the people are doing. They're setting about work so that they can offer sacrifices to God. Remember the first thing they did was they they came and set up an altar and now they're kind of pivoting to begin setting up the foundation of the temple. They are doing the work Of a priest. They are living there, setting up their church, if we can speak that way, so that they can be a witness to those outside that they serve a God who forgives sins. They're setting up a temple because it's at the temple that the people can come and symbolically receive forgiveness for their sins. And friends, this is the second place where we have a great deal of overlap with the people here in Ezra chapter 3. Remember last week? When I said that the Old Testament is a book of shadows. The shadows in the Old Testament come full in the New Testament. We too are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. That's the language that God used in Exodus chapter 19. He told the people you are to be a kingdom of priests. But look at the passage that we just read a few moments ago. We'll put it back up on the screen now for First Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light once you were not a people. It's like once you were off in slavery, just like the people of Israel were. Once you were over there on the other side of the river, once you were a nobody, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, just as the Old Testament people were supposed to be those who got together to continually proclaim at their temple that their God is a God who forgives sins, so we have been called into church together, into a church family together, so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God who is still about the business of forgiving sins. We have a ton of overlap with the people of Israel here in Exodus chapter 3. Here's the last point that I'd like to draw your attention to. Not only were they um, a, a faithful remnant, not only were they to be a kingdom of priests, but who are these people? Well, lastly, they are repentant worshipers. They're people who are repenting of their sins. And worshiping God. See this in verses 10 through 13. It says this. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And now look, it gets very, very, I don't know, personal. Feel the pain of the people and and their joy too. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men, who had seen the first house, the first temple. They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of the joyful shout and the sound of the people's weeping for the people shouted with a great shout but the sound and the sound was heard far away church as this story closes i want to point out to you that the foundation of the temple being laid it meant something different to different groups of people there were men here who were old enough because remember they had just been gone 70 years So, it's possible that there were men there who remembered what the old temple looked like before they got kicked out. And it was beautiful. It was the temple that David had built. And now they're coming back into this town. Now they're having to watch their backs. They're not nearly as large as they used to be, they're just a remnant, they're just a leftover piece. And now they're making this very humble temple. It's not nearly as nice, it's not nearly as big as the the old one used to be. And that causes some of the old men to weep. Some of the young people, they're just so thankful that God has forgiven their sin. He's, He's released them from the consequences of their rebellion. Now they're able to come back. God has come through and they're shouting for joy. The same event means something different for different people. They're repenting of their sin, they're weeping, they're also praising. This is a picture of who we should be, church. We should be people who are repentant worshipers. Turning away from our sins, thanking God for forgiving us for what we've come through, and ready to worship Him anew. Haggai, last passage I'll mention to you, Haggai was a prophet. If you ever read through your Old Testament, you come across Haggai. He's a guy who's writing at the same time as these events are going on. I want to point out something that is incredibly sweet and beautiful to you as we close. Haggai chapter 2 says this. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? He's asking these same old men who are weeping. Who of you remember what it used to be like? The good old days. Back when David was king and we were on top. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. The high priest, be strong, all you people in the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. Listen to that. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see the love of God here? These are the people who rebelled. These are the people who don't deserve any of this. And yet God has been kind to them. He's allowed them to come back into their city to begin to rebuild their temple. And God tells them, Yet once more I will shake the heavens. You see what he's saying? He's saying to these old men who are weeping, these people who are tempted to look back and think it'll never be as good as it used to be. It'll never be like the good old days. And God says, if you will work, I will be faithful. And he says, I will yet again shake the heavens. Friends, this has an immediate application for us. Maybe you've wandered far from the Lord. Maybe you've been rebellious like the people of Israel. God promises that if you return again, he's not done with you. Maybe maybe you're tempted to remember the good old days and to think that it'll never be in the future like it used to be, you know? God here promises the people, if you will be faithful I will move. I will yet once more in a little while shake the heavens. Coming out of COVID, I mean, honestly, I just met, we had a a group of pastors over at our house, pastors and their families yesterday. I'm all the time hearing stories like, you know, before COVID, we were running 180. Now after COVID, we're running 80. We just don't know if we're ever gonna get back to where we were. Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Could it be that the reason that we are held back from service, could it be that the reason that we're held back from jumping all in, feet first in our faith, into church life, is because we really don't believe that God's going to do it in the future like he did it in the past? And God tells the people here in Ezra chapter 3, Yet once more, I will shake the heavens. Here's the good news. The good news that I think, the gospel that I think is conveyed to us here in Ezra chapter 3 is this. Just like in the Old Testament, God is gathering a people to himself. He's bringing in the remnant And he says, whoever will respond to the stirring in their heart can come and can watch me work again. This is a promise from God. And it's beautiful. Church, are you ready and are you willing to believe that God can do in the future even greater things that he did in the past? Amen? Friends, I believe as your pastor here, not just about the church in general, but about Trenton Baptist Church in specific, I believe that our best days are not in our past, but our best days are in the future if we will respond to the stirring of God in our hearts. Amen. Let's pray.